Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 12, please. Matthew 12, verses 1 through 21, page 1514 in that book rack Bible. I can tell you right now, this sermon is too long for the time I have. That's okay. See, if you come to first service, you get the whole sermon no matter what. You get a fresh sermon. Hasn't been done before. Just hang. Parking's better too. Anyway, okay, we're going to keep going here. Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew 12. Now, here's the deal about this whole passage. It's about rules. How many like rules? Anybody like rules? Well, we all have to live with rules, right? It starts off with classroom rules as a kid, playground rules, driving rules. There's rules at sports. If you play sports, there are rules. Hello. And, and even though you may not like rules, rules are really important. But sometimes rules start taking precedent over something really important in our faith. Because there are rules in the faith, right? I mean, there's some things. But more important than the rules are our relationship with God. And you know, sometimes some of us get a little too stiff, a little too mechanical in keeping the rules, and the rules become everything. And rules turn into ritual, which turn into grumbling, which sort of like makes us sour, mechanical, stiff, dead, religious people. And I pray to the Lord that I don't ever become a stiff, dead, religious person, even as a Christ follower. We can just get stodgy in our faith. And what we're going to read this morning are some people in Judaism that had kind of owned that. They'd kind of taken the mantle on that. They were called the Pharisees. Let's read this chapter, verses 1 through 21. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen and the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, maybe you grew up in sort of a stiff religious experience. I had some exposure to that. I was involved in liturgical churches as a child, went to a Presbyterian church. My friends were Catholic. I had some Catholic friends, Lutheran, church, Lutheran friends, Anglican friends. And so I had lots of experiences going to different churches as a child. Some of us have had no other experience than what's right here at Three Crosses. And some of us have come from other churches and backgrounds. And it's funny, when I go to a liturgical church, it seems like everyone knows the rules except me. You know, people know when to stand, when to sit down, how to respond back to the person who's speaking, whether it's a priest or a pastor. There are prayers that people pray. In a liturgical church, there's sort of a movement. There's a narrative of the service. And that's a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But you kind of feel like you're on the outside looking in sometimes. And even here in a church like ours, an evangelical Protestant church where we teach through the Bible and we exalt the name of Jesus and we worship and praise, there are underlying rules about things where we, you know, how we worship, how we stand and where we go. And there's sort of a a culture that's developed. And what happens over time is sometimes we get a little too connected to the culture we're in and suddenly the culture sort of takes over our relationship with God. And we start depending on the culture, we start depending on the ritual, we start depending on the rules to sort of be the formation pieces of our lives. And I talk to people all the time who have this problem. It's a, it's a problem. They've somehow become so stayed in their relationship with God through ritual and through rules that it's hard for them to breathe with life and experience and dynamic and joy. And there's kind of a, a deadness that happens. And that might be happening to some of us here today. We might be, without even knowing it, the light, the the joy, the life of our faith is just sort of slowly eking out of our lives. And and day by day, it's just getting more and more unlively, dead. And that could be some of us here today. And and I think what we see here in this passage, just the simple plain sense meaning of it, is that the Pharisees were this way. The Pharisees had so championed ritual and rule They had taken the commands of God, which are great, but they had extrapolated, added to, uh, uh, you know, edited, made more out of these laws. The law of the Sabbath, for example, found in Exodus 20, thou shalt keep the Sabbath. For the Lord rested on the, on the day after, you know, after the six days of creation, the Lord rested. So we should have a Sabbath. One in seven units of our life ought to be a day of rest. And the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the teachers of the law, they had so put so many laws around the Sabbath. I mean, they, you, that you knew how far you could walk on the Sabbath, how, where you could go on the Sabbath, what you could do and not do. And, and right here is one day, they're all kind of heading to synagogue. They notice Jesus coming through the grain fields with his disciples. I don't know, maybe taking a shortcut from where they were. And it was totally legal in those days. People that owned fields would leave the perimeter of the field unharvested so that people could collect grain. It was also acceptable for aliens and foreigners or travelers to take, not harvest, but to take handfuls of grain if they were hungry just for a way of of, uh, uh, helping the needy. It was a beautiful part of God's economy. But the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus and his disciples coming through the fields and the disciples sort of whisking off these heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands and getting the kernels out and then popping them in their mouth, they said, oh, those guys are harvesting on the Sabbath and they're also threshing. I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous this became? 
And they point this out to Jesus. So here, if you're taking notes, just really quickly, just notice that those who put rules or or ritual over a relationship with God are probably not the ones we should learn what God really expects from us. Let's just let that sink in for just a minute. Those who put ritual over a relationship with God are not the ones from whom we should learn what God really expects. Some of us maybe uh, come from a background where you had to leave the place you were in because there was, it was just dead. There was no life. It was all rules and ritual. And believe me, hear me say this. The ritual is beautiful if the relationship with Jesus is the focus. Are you following that? I'm not putting down ritual. I'm not putting down sort of the the cultural rules. But I am saying that when those take precedent over relationship with God, uh uh-oh, you're in danger. You're in danger of letting something become an idol to you, something that's more important than the preciousness of God's closeness and intimacy with your life. So here's what the text is really telling us. You know, here these guys come to kind of teach Jesus a lesson, and Jesus turns it around. He's going to teach them a lesson. Verses 3 through 13, the one who can teach us what God really expects is whom? Jesus. Jesus explains what God really expects. And and here's how he does it. There's three things I want to show you really quickly. Number one, according to Jesus, just reading your Bibles is a great way to get started with knowing what God expects. Look at your Bibles and see verse 3. Haven't you read, Jesus asked them, and then look at verse 5. Haven't you read in the law? Jesus is suggesting to these Pharisees that they become so hardened in their rule-keeping that they hadn't even read simple texts in Scripture that would have sort of blown them out of the water in terms of their argument in that moment. He cites two examples. Verse 3, he cites the example of David when he was on his run from Saul. Remember, David finds out from Jonathan that Saul, his, Jonathan's father, is going to kill him. And so he goes He's, he's on the run, and he comes to a little town called Nob, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and he sees the priest there, Ahimelech, and he asks the priest, he's hungry, he's got some guys with him, it's on the Sabbath, and he says, do you have anything here? And basically he's saying, we're starving, can we eat? And the, the priest says, ah, guess what, we're out of everything except the consecrated bread. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that the consecrated bread were the 12 loaves that were made every single week. They were placed out on the Sabbath as a memorial unto the Lord of the 12 tribes of Israel as, as, them, as the tri- 12 tribes believing in the full sustenance and provision of their God. And only the priest, only Aaron and his sons could eat of that consecrated bread. It was called the bread of the presence. You can read all about this in 1 Samuel 21. And so here David is saying, do you have anything? And the priest says, ah, we've only got consecrated bread, but guess what? The priest is thinking, when the future anointed king of Israel, when the, when the anointed king and the future king of Israel comes asking for bread, I think I'll give him bread. So he says, you can have the consecrated bread. And Jesus points this out. Jesus says, wait a minute. The high priest gave David bread to eat, the consecrated bread. Let me just stop right here and just remind all of us that if you really want to know what God expects for your life, the best thing you could possibly do is just get yourself before this book every single day. Seriously. And statistics tell us that most Christians don't spend any time during the week personally reading God's Word. That's crazy. A a large majority of us sitting here this morning, this will be your only meal in the Word of God this week. And maybe here at Three Crosses, it's higher. I hope it's higher. Lord, please make it higher. <laughs> Seriously, I, we need to have biblically literate people who are reading God's Word every day. Do you read God's Word every day? 
My wife and I read every single day as a part of our devotional time together. It's a, we've done it for years. It's a way that we focus and center in. It's not a Bible study. We just let God's Word read. We take a bath in God's Word every single day. And this is a beautiful thing that every believer in Christ should do. And Jesus says right here, haven't you read? He's implying, don't you read this book? He also says it, he gives another example in verse 5. He talks about the priests who actually work on the Sabbath. They work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, by your definition, they desecrate the Sabbath. But don't forget, the priests actually do what God tells them to do on the Sabbath. So again, here's a reminder uh, that... uh, that you've got to read God's word. That's a good way to get started. But watch this. Verses 6 through 8 tell us that according to Jesus, not only reading the Bible, but studying our Bibles will help us learn what it actually means. It's one thing to read God's word, to know what it says. It's another thing to study it, to know what it means. A lot of us know what it says, we don't know what it means. So we need to study it. And Jesus says in verse 6, he says, I tell you, the one, one, greater than, uh, than Dave, one greater than the temple is here, right? Verse 6. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, he's saying look, if, if David, uh, who was not yet king, could eat of the bread that was consecrated to God, and if the priests who worked on the Sabbath were not committing desecration on the Sabbath, then just understand there's something greater than both David and the priests here, right here before you, okay? So this, this is where we get into what, what, how do we study the Bible? Can I give you a couple quick things? What is it, how do you study the Bible? How do you interpret the Bible? Here's three quick, simple, but they're right in the text, how, you, how we ought to study the Bible. Number one, see Jesus as the true fulfillment of every law, every rule, every practice in Scripture. Jesus is the true fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is saying someone greater than David, someone greater than the temple is here. Number two, understand the intent of the law is the right foundation for keeping the law. It's the intent. Remember the Pharisees were really good at keeping the law to the letter but they had missed the spirit of the law. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard it was said, thou shalt not murder. I say unto you, do not say raka. Do not say, you know, do not say you have an enemy. Because as soon as you hate, it's the same as murder. You see, the Pharisees, they could keep the letter of the law, but they would not see the intent of the law. So look back at Matthew 12, and notice Jesus said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. Notice Jesus is actually saying, my disciples are innocent. They're innocent. Why? Because the intent of the law was not broken. There was no Sabbath breaking here. Something good was happening. And by the way, we're all heading up to church together. We'll see that in a minute, verse 9. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Understanding the intent of the law is the right foundation for keeping it. And thirdly, and this is beautiful, verse 8, Jesus is Lord over it all. What does he say in verse 8? He says, for the Son of Man is Lord of what? The Sabbath. You're worried about breaking the Sabbath? I am everything Sabbath. That's what Jesus is saying. You get all these rules and everything, rituals that are sort of like camper so we don't violate something? Listen, I'm the embodiment of Sabbath, Jesus is saying. And that's why Hebrews 4 talks about we enter into a Sabbath rest when we come to faith in Jesus. 
And some of us, this is how depraved humanity is. We will continue to work for something that God freely offers us in Jesus. Because we are just so stubborn and so bent on doing it our own way. And Jesus says, you got to lay down your works and you got to trust in me. Jesus says, I am everything Sabbath. I give rest, I bring rest. And remember, context, last week, to all the religiously weary people, what does Jesus say? Come to me and I will give you what? Rest. I'm the one that brings rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of every law. Understanding the intent is the importance of keeping the law. And Jesus is Lord over all of everything law. And the last thing I want you to say, see is that according to Jesus' example, not only reading, studying, but putting what we learn and study into practice, God will use us for good. God will use us for good. And we're about to get out of here in just a few minutes, and here's our homework. Go out and look for good. Look for where you can give good. It doesn't matter what day of the week. It doesn't matter what people's expectations are. Just go do good. This will please the Father in heaven. Go do good. Let your works shine like, let, let, your, uh, let your light shine, Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 5, right? So that when they see your good works, they may glorify God, your Father in heaven, Jesus said. We're the salt of the earth. We go out, we permeate, we go into this darkness. We're about to leave and go into the darkness, into the, the city centers of our day, into where terrorism is, into where lifelessness is and poverty and sickness and death and we come with the light of truth and we come with the glory of God and we come with joy in our hearts because we have a relationship with God. We're not just following a bunch of rules. Okay? So... And, and when you do this, and uh, so here comes the illustration, verse 9. Now, I said a minute ago, and I know we've we got we to wrap this up quick. But G, all this takes place on their way to the synagogue. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this when they all get in there? It's like, you know, have you ever had a fight on the way to church? <laughs> I have, you know, I've had those days. It's terrible, you know. And all of a sudden, here you are in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ, who maybe you've been arguing with during the week or whatever. I remember a little illustration. I was in my junior college years, College of San Mateo, across the bay. First day of one semester, I remember going up the hill with a bunch of my friends into a sociology class that we were all saying how terrible it was that we got this one professor because he had this terrible reputation of being the hardest grader and really, you know, just, just, we were just going on and on about this guy. How could it possibly be that we got this guy for a sociology class and we're, and we're in a big crowd of people walking up and oh my goodness, we're all going down the same hall and oh my goodness, we're all going in the same room and the professor was part of the crowd that went into the room. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Hi, my name is Professor. Some of you know me. You know, I mean, he just kind of, it was crazy. Can you imagine Jesus walking into the synagogue as all this is going on and look at what happens they see this guy with a shriveled hand. He's, he's got a deformation in his hand. And looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I can only imagine Jesus going, you guys don't get it. Of course it's lawful because it's good. That's the answer. It's good. So Jesus says, you know, stretch out your hand and he heals this guy. And he says, you guys are hypocrites because if you had a sheep fall into a pit, and believe me, there were rules about this too, how you could help an animal that was trapped without breaking the Sabbath. Crazy stuff. But Jesus said, you would go help your animal out of the pit. Why not help this guy who's had a hard life with his whole life? 
And so I love about the Jesus. He just turns and he just heals this guy in front of everybody. It's kind of like, see, we do good on the Sabbath. This is what the Sabbath is about. Look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, this is where everything shifts in the book of Matthew. Here we've been for about a year now. We've been in the book of Matthew. And this is the place where the whole book shifts, right here. From this point on, Jesus has a target on his back. This begins the passion of Jesus Christ from chapter 12 all the, all the way to the end of the book. Everybody wants, the, relig- the religious people want to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because he's life against all their rule keeping. Wow. Okay. I put it into a practical sense. Here are the two realities that I need to think about if God is going to use us with what we know about what he expects of us, okay? Here, here are the two realities. Number one, there are those that only want to do away with Jesus. You've got to keep that in your mind. There's some people that just want to do away with him. Now, in this day, they actually killed Jesus. But today, you know, you know how you get rid of Jesus today? <laughs> you just put him out of your life. You just ignore him. There are people not here today because they just don't want Jesus in their life. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Thank, thank the Lord for people that come. And I hope, I hope none of us are here today out of rote or just tradition. We're here to say, Jesus, maybe break the fallow ground in my heart. Lord, I'm too stiff. I'm mechanical, Lord. I want to live. I want to have dynamic with you. He'll hear your prayer. We'll see that in a minute here. Because, watch this, there are those that would rather just put Jesus, do away with Jesus, but there are also those who believe Jesus is the one true hope of the world. The one true hope of the world. People like this know just exactly how amazing, they know just how amazing he really is. And right there from verses 15, actually verses 18 through 21, Matthew borrows from the servant songs of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 is what we find here in Matthew 12. And right there is the most beautiful portrayal. He's chosen by God. He's, the, he's one in whom the Father delights. Look at verse 18. He's the one in whom the Spirit rests. Remember his baptism. Look at, he's, he's the one through whom true justice reigns. We're waiting for justice on this earth. Justice will not come till Jesus reigns in this earth. He is the meek and gentle one, restoring and rebuilding the broken people of the world. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That might be you today. You're so tired, so beat up, so frustrated with religion and rules and do this and don't do that. And Jesus says, would you come? I'll take you right where you are. You're broken and I will heal you. He is a gentle, loving Savior. Verse 21, he is everyone's true and lasting hope. Is he yours? Is he yours? Well, there's more, and I went over as it was, but that's enough for today. And listen, God knows our hearts, and right now today, maybe it's, it's coming to make your peace with the Lord, or maybe it's saying, God, break up the fallow ground. I'm, I'm like these Pharisees. I'm pointing fingers. I'm trying to keep the rules, and I've strained out your life. 